Easy, I was hoping you would help set some parameters and define what is sinless perfection. Because I have a feeling that a lot of people listening to this may have, may, they may hear and resonate. I know somebody that's like that, that speaks that way, but they may not have a definition of sinless perfection. Yeah. Could you help define it for us? Well, I, there are really two kind of angles that people take when when they hold to sinless perfectionism. One is that basically once you're saved, if you're really saved, then you, in a sense, become completely sanctified and therefore you will never sin. And so th- there is that view. The other is that basically you can get to a place where you grow so much in sanctification that from that point on, you won't sin. And I, I think, Mark, you touched on, on you know, the importance of, of understanding kind of the nature of things. But I think a big problem is that those that hold to sinless perfectionism not only don't understand what Scripture says, but Scripture, the Scriptures say, but they don't understand the, the true nature of sin right. itself. Yeah. Right? They have this, like, skewed perspective on, like, what they would think is sin, these big things. They're not, they're not thinking about the motives, the intentions, right. the thoughts, the... If anyone truly tuned into that, they could never say that they're perfect or could be perfect. As everyone across the nation and around the world has been wondering, who will be the next Living Waters ping pong champion? Won't be Mark. We have a ping pong tournament coming up here at Living Waters, and Mark, Oscar, and Easy are not a part of it. But well, I was Ray a part of Comfort. it. I lost. You were a part of it, like the you know, the tournament's coming up, and I'm playing Daniel. Daniel's won like forever here. So Wait, I you're in the tournament? I was. Yes, I was in the tournament, but I said, Daniel, let's just go get this over with him. We went down there. We played the ping pong. He killed me. I think I got one or two points. That's my son. That's your son. So you're not going there Saturday to play in the tournament? Yes. Was he your first you're not. person? Yes, Correct. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> but they need eight people. Well, no. We already played. So he beat me. Oh, so you're doing it that way. Okay. Ray, are you excited about tanning me? <clears throat> yeah and no. I don't like people watching me. I'd rather just play in private. Really? You actually frustrate me very badly. You and I played yesterday. You just stand like I I I am I, I have to admit I'm really good at spinning serves. Mark, you know I'm good at spinning serves. <laughs> I have to admit. How in the world do the you Ray Comfort? You just stand there and, and like you barely move <laughs> and you return the, the spins that no one can return. How do you do it? Just um, good looks, humility, <laughs> skill, and skill. Good looks, skill, good looks, and humility. But I I I I just think it's so funny how we're all different. Trevor Sheets, our social media manager, yes. is that the correct term? He has a serve where he stands, he begins by being <laughs> a normal human being in a matter of two seconds. He goes like the hunchback of Notre like Dame and the latter stages body. of pregnancy, just yelling with every serve and bending over double. It's just it's crazy like, to watch. It's a He's been watching way too many ping pong videos. Yeah. So he does this, yeah, he does this thing and he just, he does this bounce every time and then. And he bends right down to the table level yeah. and then twists his hand backwards and the paddle backwards. And I think we should film it. But you think of all that's seriously, all that's involved in what's happening. I talked to Ray about how you return my absolutely amazing, phenomenal serves, <laughs> but you're doing it in a fraction of a second. Like your brain, without you doing anything, is telling you where the ball's going to land, the, the pressure with which to hurt it, how to hit it, <laughs> hurt it, <laughs> how to reverse the spin. 
it's crazy. It is crazy. You're not that it? intelligent to figure all that out on your own. That's for sure. I think we should have a ping pong podcast. That's hard to say. Peter Piper oh, picked a pick a pick and Peter ping pong podcast. We should. But yeah, that that's uh, it's a wonderful game. It really is. It's it's not dependent on the weather and like so many other sports, you can just go. Yeah. And, and to give you our friends who are listening context, uh, we have a uh, lounge here and we have a big ping pong table and a pool table in there. Gives our staff a break, you know, from from the pressure, let off some steam and then camaraderie. I mean, Ray, you've said this because we're, we're remodeling around here and you're terrified when we get to the lounge because you're not going to have the ping pong table. It's going to be, what, two months of withdrawal? Oh, man. Now, why is it called ping pong? Is it the noise of the ping in the pong? Uh, do American, are Americans the only ones that call it ping pong? Table it's tennis. table tennis everywhere Other else, places. I was saying. Ping pong is Korean for table tennis. It is? Nope, I have no idea. <laughs> 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 good, no. <laughs> Our Korean friends are going to write in upset about that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but it is a, a joy, camaraderie and fellowship, and uh, well, yeah. You begin every game with "I'm going to destroy you." <laughs> That's how he sets everything out. By the way, we go eat tacos. He's like, "I'm going to destroy you." I'm yeah. like, "You're the taco." <laughs> Why do I love destroying? People? You're Arab, Mark. Why? I've got to say, you're probably the most you're probably the most competitive person. I know when it comes to games and athletics and sports. Are you serious? Still? Come on, still. What what is it about you and that? Is it growing no, I think up with I've three lost brothers? A lot of that. I yeah. Listen, I had a father that was very supportive of our sporting endeavors. He didn't live vicariously through us, but he was very supportive. And having the three brothers, uh, we were always competing about with. I mean, just everything yeah. from ping pong to darts to pool to uh, football to baseball to basketball. And I think I lost a lot of that competitive edge. When I became a Christian, then as I matured and was sanctified, a lot of that began to kind of go its way. I let people win all the time. Well, then I can't imagine what you were like before. Yes. It was bad. I, I cried like a baby. Seriously, I had to tame the beast within me. And let me just give you a little anecdote. One of our sons was a poor loser, and I kept saying to Sue, where does he get this from? Why does he just have to win all the time? At the age of 30, I was at a church picnic. We lined up to do a running race, 30-year-olds, and I was just going to run. And, and suddenly someone ankle tapped me as the gun went to take off. I went flat on my face uh, and I ran out of fury. And I think I came second. <laughs> I was so, I felt in my eyes, I thought, I know where he got that competitive nature from. Wow. And so I think all of us have to kind of tame that beast and say, yeah. this isn't important. It really isn't important. Yeah. My wife and I are very competitive and our son has that in him. Really? Like he yeah. can't stand lose. It really isn't. It, it's not whether you win or lose. It's whether you win. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, Mark. What was it like being so competitive and yet so uncoordinated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> such a loser. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the torment. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I grew up in a home where I was driven that way too. And, you know, it, it's amazing. No I, one I so, was more competitive than me. Yeah, no, me. <laughs> no way. Me, I was me. the most competitive. The but I, I so wish we would apply that to our walks with the Lord. That's true. You know, run in such a way so as to win, mm. all said. You know, that we would we would have that drive, of not in, in the sense of competing against other Christians, but having the attitude of, I, I want to I want to conduct myself as if, though, I, I wanted to win, you know, and to give it my all. That's what Paul says in Scripture, and that in the book of Scripture, he spoke of that. <laughs> Thank you, right? Thank you. 
Well, speaking of that, friends, and perfection, uh, which applies to me. I knew that um, was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know I'm waiting for you to report. Did, did, did we just had a text last night where Ken Ham said he's a shy person. I said I'm a shy person. And you come up and talked about the fact that you were so shy you ran away from the mirror. <laughs> ran away from the mirror or something. I, thought, How? Well, I said I, I'm so shy that I blush when I look at my own reflection in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that is just so not true. I'm so shy I, that I run away when I see myself walking toward myself. <laughs> I've never seen anyone fall in love with mirrors like you do. You take, you shall love yourself to the nth degree. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Ray, it's interesting, isn't it, to think of people. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the shy type, but you, you really, you, you do struggle with shyness. All the time. Um, just ask me that question. I just feel like, <laughs> but I tell you what's funny when I get to get people on camera, I say, uh, when they say no, I say, you shy? And they say, yes. I say, no, you're not. You're talking to a complete stranger, <laughs> me. And uh, it's just a matter of making people feel relaxed. And I think that's what is the key to your own shyness. Just yeah. realize that there's nothing to be fearful about. But right. I am. I'm basically quite a shy person. And I was surprised to hear Ken Ham say that too. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're a shy person, don't build an ark. <laughs> <laughs> shy means tea in Arabic, by the way. Just a it little does? trivia for you. Yeah. Um, Thanks for that. I love shy people, tea people. Hey, by the way, friends, speaking of perfection, today we're talking about the errors of the sinless perfection doctrine, meaning that Christians can become perfect on the side of heaven. You, our dear listeners, are perfect. Listen to some of the recent uh, stats from the charitable podcast Stat Thingamajiga. Um, <laughs> all, this is for all podcasts trending global. Uh, you guys had us at number 49. That means of all podcasts on the charitable podcast thing that, you know, uh, we were at number 49 this in was the recently, world. In the world, and not just that, but of all podcasts. That means of any category. Whether uh, it's religion, sports, or petting your dogs. Yeah, <laughs> petting your dog categories. Uh, number 37 for all podcasts trending in the USA. And then uh, number 36 for religion and spirituality in terms of reach. Now, trending is, you know, how it's trending and, you know, how it's growing. But then reach, we're number 36. Uh, number 30 in the U.S. for religion and spirituality reach. And then get this, number one for in the USA for religion and spirituality trending and number one in the entire world for religion and spirituality trending. Isn't that amazing? So, friends, you're listening. And uh, we are... Thank you. Uh, we can't... Yeah, thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for listening, for sharing, for telling people about the podcast. That really does make a difference. You know, it spreads it. And if you think what we're sharing is worthwhile... Please tell others about it and continue to give us ratings and comments. And remember, uh, e, uh, podcast at livingwaters.com. Let us know what you want to hear and what you think. Truly, I mean, you know, just to be in the top 30 of all podcasts listened to in the United States is mind boggling because there are so many things that people want to listen to, non believers and believers alike. And so, truly, thank you. And, and one of the benefits of you simply listening and sharing is that it makes the podcast more available. Uh, for when people Google search a question or go online and want to know something about a topic. Think about how often we share the gospel on this podcast. There's the potential that non-believers will stumble upon it and hear the gospel simply because you are listening and sharing Amen. these these episodes. So thank you for that. So, you know, yeah. Speaking of that, do you guys ever read those church marquee signs that they put in oh front. stop it spence Ray, do you, ever <laughs> love that? you just you 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 want to increase in pay or not <laughs> okay mark that is such a horrible thing. i just want to say 
<laughs> I was going to say, speaking of that, which is you're up me on that. I, I received this meme this morning, and it says the inventor of autocorrect died. The funnel will be held tomato. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I thought it really made me laugh because nothing annoys me like autocorrect. I, I say something to someone, I look down, there's a cuss word right in the middle of it. You think I did not say that? Yeah, it grabs words that you use yeah. most often. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, guys, let's jump into it. Yeah, today we're talking about the errors of sinless perfectionism. And I'm glad that we're touching on this because I can hardly think of anything more harmful, uh, especially to young believers, than the doctrine of sinful Sinful, sinless? Sinless, sinful perfectionism. <laughs> I'm a perfect sinner. <laughs> sinless perfectionism because it's uh so utterly condemning uh when 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 we really live in a way that we think we can be sinless and it i think the biggest thing that it does is it bypasses the gospel Mm. and does away with the cross and the but it doesn't in the guise of not bypassing the gospel What's it's, that? It's, they do it in the guise of not bypassing the gospel. They say, you know, I embrace the gospel, I'm forgiven my sins, but I myself, with that, am also perfect. I've achieved perfectionism. And the way they do it is say, can you be perfect for five seconds? They say, yeah, I could. I could not sin for five Could you do it for a minute? What about a day? And that's how they sort of well, sneak up on you. That's where they misunderstand the nature <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of a man. You know, R.C. Sproul, he was asked that same question. It was He had such a great response. I won't be able to... Do it justice, but it was basically you cannot go one second without being absolutely perfect in thought, word, or deed. You're thinking, well, I just won't do anything at all. Well, you're messing up because you're you're designed to bring glory to God, hmm. right? So it's only Christ in you, the hope of glory, that any goodness that anybody might see in the midst of it. You know, in Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Right. We think, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. And then we have the verse that we all probably want to say and share. I'll go first. First <laughs> uh, John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And that verse is applied to Christians. That's not yeah. like a gospel verse for non-believers. <clears throat> that is a verse written for the church, to the church, to people actively following Christ. It requires you to confess your sins. Right. Easy, I was hoping you would help set some parameters and define what is sinless perfection. Cause I have a feeling that a lot of people listening to this may have, may, they may hear and resonate. I know somebody that's like that, that speaks that way, but they may not have a definition of sinless perfection. Yeah. Could you help define it for us? Well, I, there are really two kind of angles that people take when, when they hold to sinless perfectionism. One is that basically once you're saved, if you're really saved, then you, in a sense, become completely sanctified and therefore you will never sin. And so th- there is that view. The other is that basically you can get to a place where you grow so much in sanctification that from that point on, you won't sin. And I, I think, Mark, you touched on, on you know, the importance of, of understanding kind of the nature of things. But I think a big problem is that those that hold the sinless perfectionism not only don't understand what Scripture says, but scripture the Scriptures say, but they don't understand the, the true nature of sin right. itself. Yeah. Right? They, they're, they have this, like, sort of uh, skewed perspective on 
like what they would think is sin, these big things, they're not, they're not thinking about the motives, the intentions, right. the thoughts. The, if anyone truly tuned into that, they could never say that they're perfect right. or could be perfect. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> so go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so. Well, I mean, the idea to completely defeat sin is, uh, is wrong. Right. I mean, the Apostle Paul said, I, I haven't already attained, but I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm pressing onward. I'm pushing upward. Right. And that's what we continually do. When when we blow it and we will blow it, uh, God's grace is right there for us. And grace will teach us. It's a teacher. It's a tutor. It teaches us to live sober and to live righteous in this present age, to forsake. And when we blow it, we realize and recognize what a great God that we have. Right. Uh, I was reading on uh, the Gospel Coalition in reference to sinless perfectionism. He says, sinless perfectionism is a doctrine that, in short, it holds that it's possible for Christians to completely defeat sin in the present life and to live holy lives the way Jesus did. At a glance, it makes a lot of sense, right? Jesus came to save us from sin. He died for our sins on the cross, and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower his people to overcome sin and to live obedient, righteous lives in this present age. So Christians should have the highest aspirations for living holy lives and for rejecting sin. But the problem is we get hung up and now we begin to think that this Christian life is all about our obedience. It's all about us Mm. now attaining. And we push aside uh, the grace of Christ. We push aside the finished work of what Jesus did. We can never attain to that level, and we must never forget what Christ did. It's not like Christ handed us the baton, and now we say, okay, well, I got it from here. Mm, I can yeah. run this race without you. No, we are always leaning upon Christ. Yeah, I, I read a commentary recently that talked about how all through the scriptures there's this great mystery or phenomenon in the sense that we are saved by grace through faith and nothing of our own doing. And yet we are called to righteousness. Mm -hmm. And uh, it talks about this unique covenant that we walk with God. And I think that when it comes to sinless perfectionism, uh, for, for many of us who are listening to this, this episode, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, that's definitely not me. But let me take a, a slow step backwards a little bit and and observe the way we might be tempted towards legalism. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really speaking to my own heart in this. I think I, I, I feel this temptation. Here's what often happens is that we will look out into the world and we'll see um, – a loose way of following Christ. Mm. We will see those people who claim to be Christians who don't take their sin seriously, who think, well, you know, I'm saved. And when I sin, God's got that all figured out, not too worried about, it's all about love. Yeah. And we respond to that by saying, no, you, you are called to be a servant. You should respond to the gospel and it should transform the way you live your life. Yes and amen. But often, as C.S. Lewis points out, the devil sends his errors in pairs, and he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking about which one is worse. See, he here's what he says. He relies on your extra dislike of one error to draw you gradually mm. into the opposite one. Wow. And so I do I, I do feel that pull often towards legalism. 
where all of a sudden I think sanctification, I think what a righteous person should look like is this. By this point, you shouldn't be doing this. By this point, this. And then all of a sudden when people ask, like, do you think that person's saved? We're looking at, we're, we're judging them through a legalistic eye. And so I just, yeah. I, I want to pull a step back so they can relate to all of us and go, even if we're not as far as sinless perfection, we all need to be weary of that pull towards legalism and that pull towards antinomianism. Yeah. Where we just think very little of sin. That's so good. And, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with how our nature changes. I mean, Ray, when you think back to when you got saved, how did your relationship to sin change, like before Christ and after Christ? We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Boy, I felt I was like a man who says he's got no problem with cigarettes. He smokes 40 packs or 40 cigarettes a day, hmm. and he has no problem with it. But when he stops smoking, then he has a problem with it. That's <laughs> when, then, when it, it's okay. like a man behind a prison bar. He wow. thinks he's free until he tries to get out. Yeah, you yeah. realize he's a prisoner, and that's what you feel like with sin. I had no problem with sin. I had no problem with lust. Lust was not a problem to me when I was a non-Christian. Yeah. I just gave into it. But when I became a Christian, started turning from sin, suddenly I felt the pull of sin. But I would, I would encourage people um, that are, are down about their own sins, walk a mile in my shoes, which means you've got my shoes and you're a mile away, which is really annoying. I said, I like my shoes. Thanks, easy. <laughs> you just See, told my I shoes. I appreciate good quality humor. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I get selfish. Easy. Yeah, no. <laughs> I get they're self- not dad jokes. They're easy jokes. Yeah. I was going to say, I get grumpy when people interrupt. I get selfish. So what I was saying. Grump, grumpy. I, I don't pray without ceasing. I fight jealousy, pride, lust. The subtlety of conceit, I get distracted in worship, I fall asleep while praying, I daily fail to love my neighbor as myself, I fail to love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm a sinner through and through, Mm. and trusting in the grace of God minute by minute. And, you know, I've heard people talk about Romans 7, which is a chapter we're going to obviously go to, where Paul says, I I do the things I want to do. Is that talking of B.C. or A.D.? Is it is after Christ now, where he's still fighting sin? The sinless perfectionists would say no. But in that portion, he says, I want to do good. Mm, He speaks of that, which shows us that it's not BC, because no non-Christian strives to do good in that sense. It's only when you become a Christian, you get a glimpse of what good is, and you have that battle of of nature. You know, and you're demonstrating that sin is not an enemy out there. It is a beast that we fight within. Right. Right. There's a text in uh, James chapter 1. Uh, verses 13 to 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
but each person is tempted when he is lured, enticed, or by his own evil yeah. desires, right? I so, like the King James Version. It says lusts. Lusts. Yeah. So we live in a fallen world, and living in a fallen world as fallen people, we make fallen decisions. Mm-hmm. So we should be uh, more and more longing to see Christ. And that's when we strip everything away. When we start talking about what, what are you looking forward to when you get to heaven? And, and really, it's for the mature believer, it's being able to see Christ who set me free, being able to be free from these temptations that continually hound me all day long. I'm looking forward to that. Notice it's not saying, hey, I'm looking forward to the marriage supper of the lamb, whatever that is, mm. you know, or I'm looking forward Pizza. to the streets of gold, whatever that is, or, or houses or, you know, what, what all of these things don't even come up in the midst of a conversation for a mature believer. Yeah. We're looking forward to being embraced by him who embraced my sin 2000 years ago. Mm. That's mm. what I'm looking forward to. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, Ray, you mentioned the whole cigarette thing and <laughs> that was a great analogy as I think about what happened to me when I first got saved. You know, I used to smoke, I think I've shared before, a pack and a half a day. Did you try the cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> no, just the picks. I like to smoke the picks. Yeah, pack and a half a day. That's a lot. <laughs> At 15, you know. Do you know how and, to give up cigarettes easy? No, I smoke them backwards. Yeah, turn them around. <laughs> <laughs> you serious? I'm serious. I've always said that. Just turn it around. You'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always loved, Ray, when you would talk about people smoking in their car with their windows down. Crazy. <laughs> Roll them up. Get your money's worth. That's right. Come and live in Los Angeles. You might have to smoke. Well, Ray says to people when they're sitting outside, you go to a Walmart and you have a worker outside smoking a cigarette. Ray goes up and he says, You just dropped outside to have a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, when you think about it, smoking is one of the stupidest it things really in the is. world. I mean, you are intentionally inhaling these smoke. It's almost as bad as putting sugar on your avocado. <laughs> no, that is righteous. I've never smoked a cigarette, but I've smoked plenty of cigars playing poker in my BC days. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, but here's the thing, like, you know, oftentimes they'll say, well, they just didn't know the harmful effects of cigarettes back then. <laughs> really? Do you really yeah. have to? I mean, who doesn't have enough common sense to say this is not good for you, you know? Uh, so but, people say smoking sin. I said, well, not really. Eating sand at the beach isn't sin either. You can go and eat it if you're dumb. It's not going to do you good. Yeah. But no, how we change, you know, like when I got saved, like I said, packing half a day, but I got saved. I quit the day I got saved. Cold turkey. Really? Why? Why? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? It was why? all out of packs. Because I was I was <laughs> convicted. That why the, were you convicted? Because this is this this is like it's a, it's an addiction. It's harming my body. It's dumb and it costs it's a lot dumb, of money. It's stupid. It's all this stuff. But I quit cold turkey. But about a week later, I went on a river trip with a couple friends of mine, and uh, one of them was the guy that took me to to the place where I got saved. The other was an unbeliever, and. I mean, I was preaching the gospel. I drove the other guy crazy. I, I was not. He's did. like, shut up. I just kept preaching the gospel. We had like a four hour trip, you know? <laughs> anyway, but we got to the river and uh, you know, there were these people that were smoking, that, you know, that were hanging out, partying and smoking. And I saw it and I started smelling the cigarettes and oh my goodness, the nicotine fit just started to kick really? in. Oh yeah. How soon after? You About, a About a week. A okay. week. About a week after I got saved and quit smoking. And so anyway, my friends went to go do something. They went to drive somewhere and go get something or whatever. And I was there left alone. I remember I sat there and I was like, oh, the temptation was intense. So I go up to the guys. I start talking to them that were smoking. I go, 
hey, yeah, oh, man, ooh, that cigarette sure looks good. <laughs> I go, yeah, I just quit smoking, but oh, man. And he goes, oh, hey, bro, I have one. So he gives me a cigarette. Oh. I remember I went and I found this little corner. There was like this little <laughs> short wall. And I creeped down because I didn't want my friends to see me. I'd just been preaching the gospel. And I remember I lit that cigarette. I sucked that thing down. I mean, I probably finished it in like 10 seconds. <laughs> It was the best tasting and yet the worst cigarette I had ever had in my life. The conviction was so intense. You know, I wanted to die. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. That was the last cigarette I ever had. I can't see how it was pleasurable. I had 13 cigarettes that the night before I got married, two nights before I got married, I wanted to get it out of my system. I also got drunk and the taste on my tongue was disgusting. It was like a doormat they've been trodden yeah. on by an army it was a horrible you, get, you just had to you get desensitized it was a, a cigarette after a meal after you eat a big meal was was one of the most euphoric things it, what in the world in the world you can't you, man you can't explain it you guys never smoked you guys uh, kids, please don't try this at home were you a smoker i so i when i was let's see my mom got married for the second time when i was 10 years old in our backyard and everyone left and I found a pack of cigarettes and I tried smoking it. Uh, and I probably wasn't inhaling much cause I went through uh-huh. like five cigarettes, you know? Uh, but that was it. Yeah. After my that, mom- no, I, I, cause it, cause to Ray's point, it tasted utterly disgusting. So I smoked and was like, why do people do this to themselves? Uh, I didn't well, my mom smoked when she was pregnant with me and then she, she, that's what happened. Then, yeah, that was it. <laughs> and then she smoked, you know, well into my childhood and I was probably 12 or so. And she, she finally quit. But, I absolutely loved it. it wow. It, Can yeah. I, um, it builds your confidence to hold a cigarette because you've seen John so many Wayne. advertisements of, yeah, John Wayne and many yeah, it guys. You, it, but anyway, it, this is not an advert for smoking. Do not smoke. It's horrible for those of you listening. But my whole point in that was how our point? relationship. <laughs> what? You had a point in this? <laughs> yeah, but they are, our relationship to sin changes. You know, once God gets a hold of us. I've been thrown into a flurry over here trying to find the etymology of cold turkey. Yeah, I quit cold turkey. What's it called? I thought you quit eating cold turkey. That's not what you meant? (laughs) No. Where does that? Like no more cold cuts? Heat heat up the turkey. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't find it. Could I uh, bring us back to the gospel? Would that be Mm -hmm. okay? Probably shooting a turkey and it goes cold, right? (laughs) It's probably from Alaska or something. Just the other day. I was reading through Genesis and Genesis 15 struck me Mm. as this uh, incredible example of what it means to understand the gospel, to what it means to pursue righteousness in dependence on grace. And so in in, in Genesis 15, it's when God makes his Abrahamic covenant, uh, a covenant with Abraham. He does something really weird. If you read through the text, you might be kind of confused by what happens. He has Abraham take a bunch of animal carcasses. He cuts the animals in half and he, he lines them up in these two rows. And the reason why God does this is that it was tradition back in those days for a Lord of the land to make his servant make a promise to him. And when you would do that, you would have the servant do exactly that. They would take animals, they would split them in half and make this narrow road. And the, and the servant would walk down that aisle and make his promises to the Lord. And he would do so recognizing that if he was going to break those promises, that he would be slain just like the carcasses that he was walking through this narrow path. 
But something interesting happens in Genesis 15. After Abraham lays out the carcasses, he falls into a sleep and it says darkness covered the land, Mm. which we know that is a sign of God's judgment. And then something utterly ridiculous happens, which is that God himself through uh, a a fiery or or smoky uh, tower goes through the carcasses. Now, the reason why that is utterly ludicrous is because lords never walk through the carcasses. Because what that means is that if the covenant was broken, they would be the ones that would be punished. And so a lord would never walk through that narrow aisle. The the servants would. And yet here is God making a covenant and then also saying to Abraham, when you break this covenant, I will be the one that will be destroyed. And that is exactly what we see with Jesus on the cross, Mm. hanging between two carcasses, being destroyed for the breaking of the covenant on our side. And so on the cross is the only way we understand how God both completes the covenant and takes on the punishment of the covenant. He completes the covenant for us by living a righteous life. And he takes on the punishment of the broken covenant by being slain on our behalf. And I think that once you understand the gospel in that story, you will recognize yourself as an imperfect sinner pursuing righteousness for the rest of your life. Yeah. Amen. That is really wow. 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 Yeah. Because I often read that. Oh, Sorry, just guys. awful. The 120 Sorry, mile guys. an hour sneeze right in the middle sneeze. of something. Yeah, I tried that's to turn my right. mic off. I don't know if I did it. No, time, I heard you. I was so moved, Oscar, by what you shared. <laughs> the only response was a sneeze. Yeah, I've often looked at that passage and been mystified. That's really good. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think that a lot of the misunderstanding about sinless perfectionism. <laughs> I hope we're going to keep that sneeze in. They're Don't edit it, it out. That's oh, just no, you. let's keep the sneeze in, yeah. guys. It's beautiful. It it's shows, beautiful. It shows our imperfection. What, who has it said? That they say, is someone that said that if you sneeze with your eyelids open, your eyes would shoot out? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> it like I, I've said too. that as part of God doesn't believe in atheist teaching. I used to say that. Never, is it true? You always close your eyes. When you sneeze, don't try and prove me wrong. You'll send out two bullets that could injure someone. <laughs> That's where you've got it from. <laughs> Shooting eyes. But, you know, I think that sometimes, too, the doctrine comes from a misunderstanding of Scripture. And it's interesting that a lot of times the Scriptures that people will cite are out of uh, 1 John, right? And James. so, yeah, but 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. First uh, John 3, 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And then 1 John 5, 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. And what a lot of people don't realize is the importance of understanding scripture within context. Remember, this is the book in which John said, if we say we have no sin, right, we call God a liar. And so it's important to understand that what what these verses are teaching uh, is that uh, this is someone who lives a life of habitual sin that is abiding in sin, living in, in gross sin and rebellion against God, not a Christian who stumbles or whoever sins over the course of their lifetime. Mm. How do sinless perfectionites um, look at, <laughs> that's a new word for you, uh, look at Paul's I'm the chief of sinners? How do they handle that? 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great point. You know, because at the beginning of his ministry, he didn't refer to himself as the chief of sinners. He said he was the least of the saints, right? right? Yeah. The least of the saints or the least of the apostles. And at the end of his ministry, he said that he was the chief of sinners. And it's not to say that he was sinning to a greater extent, but I think that what happens in reality is that we get a greater glimpse of the holiness of yep. God in relation to who we are. In our fallen nature. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sacred greatly chief. revealed. Yeah, I mean, again, John, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, and, and then you think also, yeah, I mean, that's a good example. You think of, okay, well, if you have to be perfect to, if, you, if you're perfected once you're saved, if you take that view, well, look at Peter, right? Uh, Peter was rebuked to his face by Paul in Galatians 2 because he was being hypocritical. I mean, and in relation to one of the most precious things in the universe, the gospel, mm. he rebuked him to his face because he was to be blamed. So how do you how do you go in that direction, right? right. And, and and then you know you think of what John also said in his book, and I love this because this strikes the balance, Oscar, that I think you were trying to get at. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is now into chapter two. So he talked about the whole issue of not saying, not being crazy enough to say we have no sin. But then he says, look, I've written these things to you so that you don't sin. Right. It's not good to sin. We shouldn't want to sin. We should desire to be perfect. That's a, that's a, a great, and, and not, not just that, not, should, not only should we desire it, but I think we naturally desire it if we've been born again. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to dishonor the Lord. We don't want to displease the God who gave us life and saved us from sin. And so John hits that. Look, I've written to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, which you will, remember, we have that advocate with the Father. That word advocate, I love it. One's who co- one who comes alongside to help. Mm-hmm. You know, One who pleads your case. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Counsel for your defense, I think, the Amplified Bible. Yeah. The Amplified Bible, actually. Right. Yeah, thanks, Ray. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He's our advocate. That's good. He's the one who comes alongside to help. Now, Spurgeon was at a conference one time, and one of the speakers was speaking on sinless perfectionism. And Spurgeon's even, your plumber? He's my plumber, yeah. <laughs> C.H. Spurgeon, uh, my plumber. And he said one of the speakers was teaching on sinless perfectionism and even claimed to be sinless. Well, Spurgeon didn't challenge him on the spot, and the next day, he grabbed a hold of a jug of milk and slowly began to pour it over his head in front of everybody. No, is this for real? For real. Well, we don't and, know if it's for real. I think there's an uncertainty as to whether this is a true story or not. And supposedly... <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, the yes. guy responded in a manner that was not befitting someone who attained to sinless perfectionism. Yeah. Right. That's a good You're way. You're going to see how somebody responds when you do something that could potentially irk them. You know, probably, it probably might be an exaggeration. Spurgeon might have put his little finger and some milk and just went flick across the table. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you talked about earlier, Mark, and I think it's important to understand the nature of sin because often we talk about sin as, as simply... Uh, the act of doing something unrighteous. And that is certainly the full expression of sin. But uh, I love the way Augustine put it. Augustine. Uh, oh my. Oh, I'm embarrassed for you at this point. <laughs> <I'm embarrassed>, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way Augustine put it, sin is ultimately disjointed loves. Hmm. He said, often we love things more. We love good things more than we ought. And we love bad things in ways that we should not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to, to Augustine, when he read the scriptures, he saw sin as this 
eternal, this not eternal, but this uh, intrinsic condition of our heart that dispositions us towards sin. And so for the sinless perfectionist, it's like, don't even bother pointing out what you do. Look at the condition of your own heart. Mm. Yeah. Well, and then you think of Paul in Galatians 6, 1, where he says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Obviously, he's talking about believers in there. He's talking about, you know, the, the, those that are within the church, restoring them, right? So again, scripture does not teach anywhere that we get to a place where we never sin or fail or stumble again. And how bad witness must that be to the unsaved for someone to say, I'm sinless? Yeah, I'm perfect. Yeah. Imagine being married to someone like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Rachel does uh, have that struggle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, think about to Galatians 5, 16 to 26, the whole mm, right. dyna- <laughs> dynamic of the flesh and the spirit, right? We've talked about this before on the program, the flesh less against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do that which you wish. Who's the you being spoken of in there? It's the new man. It's the, the, the spiritually regenerated man that's been born again. We want to please God and yet we're battling with the flesh. Uh, and again, Romans 7, Ray right. speaks to that very clearly. So we see in John chapter five, guys, Jesus telling the woman to go and sin no more, mm-hmm. you know, lest a, a worse thing come upon you. That wasn't the woman though. That was the blind guy. Was it? <laughs> no, I think it was a woman caught in the act of adultery. Yeah. Um, Two. So, why, so the question is, that's what, what, what is, what I is mean, a worse thing that can come upon you? And I remember reading a commentary once and it said something along the lines of, well, you could come down with perhaps a venereal disease, you know, somebody can get pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, there's, there's just, there's, there's greater ramifications uh, for our sin. Was Jesus actually saying that you will be able to be sinless and sin no more in John chapter five? Yeah. Right. Which I, I don't think that's what he's referring to. Right. You know, Jesus was not speaking of sinless perfection. He was warning against return to sinful lifestyle choices. And I like what one commentary said. He said his words both extended mercy and demanded holiness. He was always the perfect balance of grace and truth. With forgiveness comes the expectation that we will not continue in the same path of rebelliousness. And those who know God's love will naturally want to obey him, right? John 14. So we, we desire to not sin the way we sin before. And we're grieved when we sin, Yeah. right? So we may not sin, be sinless, but we may sin less in that area. And when we do sin, we do it willfully. We, uh, we're not blind about it. And we are grieved uh, when we do it because the spirit is quenched. Yeah. He's there to receive us back because the, uh, the fellowship is, has had a, a mar inside of it. That's good. Yeah. And, and think about what Jesus taught the disciples, you know, I mean, we call it the Lord's prayer, but it was really the disciples prayer, but obviously he was giving them this prayer as a model, uh, that would be passed on to the church. Right. And in that, right. I mean, he makes it clear, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so it's clear in there that of course, as long as we live in this fallen, broken world and this fallen, broken people, 
we're going to we're going to sin and and not just that but we're constantly sinning in a sense in that our thoughts are not perfect we're not constantly loving god with our heart mind soul and strength right. uh, our motives and our intentions are are not always impure and those things can happen in a split second that's why we say those that are proponents of sinless perfection don't understand the true nature of sin and and it's yeah. pervasive and let me, let me bring a quick correction. It was uh, uh, the man in John chapter 5. It was the woman caught in ad- adultery. It was John 4. Right. right. Yeah. Repentance so. on the podcast. <laughs> so well, you I haven't, said. I haven't attained. I, uh, uh, repentance. Well, none of, us is, none of us is inflammable. We all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> the but, man who put in a race for the pencil <laughs> knew what he was doing. But Ray, uh, I'd like you to touch on, though, the, the self-righteous attitude of those that think like that. And that the, they usually have made, isn't it typical those that talk like that, sinless perfection, they probably have a bunch of stuff going on in their lives. I mean, we see it with those that will oftentimes, you know, preach on a certain issue in an inordinate way against it. And then you end up finding out they're into that themselves. Yes, I totally agree. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I could tell by the look on your face. I know. Like, oh. I was trying to find a way in, and I thought, Easy's going to know exactly what I'm going to do. He's going to be ready for it. Yeah. Oscar, you were going to say something, weren't you? I was going to say nothing. Good. Wow. Are we done? We're, we may be ending perfectly. <laughs> we're so good at today. finishing strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, friends, we hope you've been encouraged today. Look, as I mentioned before, uh, repentance is a good word. And that's the hope that we have in the Lord. He is the Lord, your righteousness. Yeah, don't sin. But when you do sin, run into the arms of Christ. Let him cleanse you and wash mm-hmm. you and purify you. Um, because he did it in in a certain point in history, but let him do it in time and space uh, as he reconciles your fellowship with him. And in another verse in First John, it says, you know, God is light in him. There's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and, walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. That's one side of it. So make sure you're walking in uprightness. But then it says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. You guys, I love that imagery, you know, of just being constantly under the fountain of Christ's blood, being washed from our sins. Well, how crazy must we sound to the unsaved world? Washed in the blood, brother. <laughs> Washed in the blood. I told you that story, right? Yeah. I'll save it for another podcast. But uh, real quick, the next time your sinless perfectionist friend tells you that they don't sin, that in itself is a sin. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Point that out to them. Yeah. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us. Remember to check out all the resources we have at livingwaters.com, including, 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 I'm I'm still a sinner, including the Evidence Bible in which Ray Comfort poured out his heart and his life. And have you ever seen the one that gave birth to it, the giant, ginormous Bible of Ray Comfort? That is bequeathed to me. Yeah. Speaking of... Why do you keep encouraging me to go to the Grand Canyon? <laughs> but Hey, Ray, uh, closer to it. the edge, Ray. Just a little closer. For the four people still listening, <laughs> we did have Mark Dever over for lunch the other day. And I don't know if you were told this, but he said that for every sermon he prepares, he always references or looks at the Evidence Bible to make sure that he's not missing something. (laughs) It is a constant in his sermon prep. Wow, that's big. That's very encouraging. So livingwaters.com, friends, check it all out. And remember to email us at 
podcast at livingwaters.com. We'll be back again soon, friends, hopefully, Lord willing, if we survive this and you survive it. Thanks for joining us for the Living Waters Podcast. Podcast. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.